You guys, last week we started looking at this final plague that we're going to see happening, and <clears throat> this is a big deal, right? God, we talked about last week, chapter 11, God said, hey, I am going to bring death to every firstborn of every Egyptian family, and I'm going to bring death to every firstborn of their livestock. And we talked about the fact that God, we were basically at the level of the scorched earth kind of campaign here. This is like the nuclear bomb, so to speak, of what God had said from the very beginning. Look, look, let's just start off with something easy. Let's just start off with some frogs. Let's start off with some locusts, right? Like it was getting progressively worse each and every time. And here we've arrived here. And we looked last week, if you guys remember, we went back and God knew. God knew what it was going to take, but he kept pouring out grace and mercy on Pharaoh saying, hey, let's not get there. Let's not have to go to this scorched earth thing. But yet God knew it was going to be required, but he did all he could to avoid it. But the Pharaoh, you guys, who had every opportunity to obey God, was hell-bent against obedience, was hell-bent against God. So tonight, and I choose those words very specifically, right? Tonight, you guys, we're going to look at this complete turning point in the people of Israel, a complete turning point in their lives that even to this day is very clearly defined by this moment in history. You guys, we have the Passover Seder coming up, which by the way, quick little tidbit, we have eight spots left. If you want to invite people on Church Center up in the right-hand corner, you can click it and text it out to them or email it to people. I want those eight spots filled, man. I want 70 people here. So please do what you can and get them filled up. I I know we have a few people that haven't signed up yet. So at this point, that's on them. So they got to get it done. But you guys, that's what the Seder is about, the Passover Seder dinner that is still celebrated by every Jewish household today. Long, long time after this particular moment in history, this moment defines everything. And we're going to see you guys that it also points to Jesus in some amazing ways. So let's start reading here. Chapter 12, verse 1 says this. <clears throat> it says, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, this month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons. According to each man's needs, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So you guys, God starts off by pointing out to Moses and Aaron that from this point on, their whole year would begin in this month. That is literally how important this particular moment in history was. The Jewish calendar was completely thrown into disarray and started over from this point on. This was around the month of March and April. That's why we do our seders right around this time. It's also interesting because guess what else happened right around this time? Easter, right? There's a lot of really amazing things that I think God chose to do very intentionally. It's the month of Nisan on the Jewish calendar. And the point here was so important that it actually began 
what is now known as their religious calendar of events, right? Because whenever they were in captivity in, the Bab- in Babylon, they kind of adopted the Babylonian calendar, so their calendars are a little different now. But as far as their religious calendar, this is when it starts. This is still the starting point of that calendar. It's the most important starting moment of everything for them religiously. You guys, it's, I cannot explain to you how much this still affects the people of Israel. Whether they're super religious or not, this still has impact in their lives. We need to get our head around this. As we're reading this, even today, it still matters. They celebrate the fact that they were rescued by Yahweh. Next, you guys, God tells Moses and Aaron to let the people of Israel know what they got to do. They're supposed to take a lamb, right, this male lamb, into their house on the 10th day. And if the family was too small, if it was under, I think, 7 to 10 is what it ended up being down the road, I think is what it was, then they would have to team up with another family, but they weren't allowed to have more than 20 per lamb, so there was all these rules that came later. But at this moment, it was basically, if you were only you, your wife, well, you're not going to eat a whole lamb together. You can't physically eat all that. So they were like, you can team up with another, another family. But the reality is, this lamb was supposed to be without blemish, a male, less than a year old, and it could be a sheep or a goat. Why? Well, maybe some families didn't have sheep. Maybe they had goats, right? So that's why. God's just like, take something that had some value to you, that had the most value to you, right? God didn't want them to just use this opportunity to thin their herd of those old or screwed up lambs or goats that they're like, eh, probably not going to make it through the year anyway, right? Poor guy lost a leg somehow. It's all jacked up, right? He's like, you know, that goat, you know? Uh, That's not what this is about. It was meant to cost them something, you guys. It was meant to cost them something, and we see that all throughout. Remember, sacrificial system wasn't set up at this point, right? They haven't made it to the Ten Commandments yet. We're going to read about that later. We're not there yet, but do you see the picture of this already? What is the sacrificial system? whole point of getting, what is, do you see how God is setting up so much here now that we read about all the way through the Old Testament and then into the New Testament? Jesus, our Passover lamb. This is important, you guys. But how were they supposed to do this? They didn't just grab their lamb out of the field, take them to the altar, kill it, and eat it. No, they brought it into their house, you guys. They brought it into their house on the 10th day of the month. It became a pet for four days. They had to care for it. They had to feed it. They gave it a warm place to sleep. The kids were like, oh, little lamb chop. How are you? Right? Every day, the husband had to look and be like, dude, that was going to be some breeding stock for me. Dude, that thing was going to grow up and give us how many different things that my wife was going to be able to sew together, use the wool for, for the good of our family. That was going to end up being meat on our table later when it grew to full size. But instead, God, I'm giving this to you. Do you understand? It cost them something. But not only that, they had to take care of it and feed it, treat it like one of their own for four days, and then kill it this thing that had become adored and part of the family, taken care of and loved upon, now 
they took out and killed. Another interesting point, you guys, that I want to point out to you is, do you see there, uh, sorry, I'm looking for it now. Here it is, verse 6. It says, then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Do you guys know that that's the first use of this word in the whole Bible? Congregation. This has a religious sense. This is not God looking at the people of Israel as a nation. This is the this is God looking at these people and saying, and that's what makes, again, this other, this is what makes Passover so important is that this is the first thing that he's saying. This is something that is much, much more than just something I'm doing for you as a nation. This is not me saying to Abraham, I'm going to make you a nation that's bigger and bigger and bigger than anything else you've ever seen. It's bigger than the stars in the sky. That was awesome. That's a true promise. God's done that. But this is the first time God said to the people of Israel, you as a spiritual group, you as a group that I am saying to you spiritually are under me, go and do this. You understand the difference there? It's a religious sense. It speaks of this idea of a spiritual gathering of people. It's actually, you guys, it's the Hebrew counterpart to what we call church, ecclesia. It's the same word here, two different languages. But my point is, is that that's the word we would use in Greek. That's how that would be translated in Greek from Hebrew. What does that mean? Church, a group of people that are here, not because we are all the same nationality, but because we are here under the same spirit, under the same God. He's speaking to something different here, you guys. So let's keep reading. Verse 7 says, And they shall take some of the blood, and put it on the two doorposts and on the lentil of the house where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head and its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire." And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So God now tells them what they're supposed to do with this sacrificial animal after they kill it. They're supposed to take the blood of the animal, you guys, and place it on the top and the sides of the doorpost. So basically on the three sides of what makes up a doorframe, right? Here's the deal. Many scholars see this as a picture of the cross. They see a picture of the cross in it. How? Well, on the top of the doorpost, when the, when the blood was spattered there, do you understand that it would go down? Do you understand that on the back of a cross, that was where Jesus' head would have been? And I'm sure on his cross, there was blood spattered down on the top of the cross. On the sides of the doorpost, can you imagine the blood dripping from his wrists? So when you look at all the blood, it has this picture of a cross from the perspective of like the blood itself, right? And so, not that it's in the shape of a cross. You guys get what I'm getting at. So many scholars kind of see this as a picture of the cross. But I will say this, whether that's true, whether that's not true, because I do think sometimes we like to try to find pictures where maybe there aren't, I don't know. So that's really not a big deal. It's just an interesting point. But I will say this, the Passover itself, for sure, is a picture of Jesus because Jesus is our Passover lamb. Jesus is this perfect, spotless lamb without blemish, that died for us, that died in our place. The blood of that lamb didn't do anything wrong, didn't really come and 
you know, wreak havoc in the house. No, it was just an innocent little lamb died. And then its blood was put on the doorpost to protect the people. And after the blood was applied, they were to roast the entire animal in the fire. And I need you to hear this. This was not meant to be clean. This was not meant to be some nice lamb chops that had been prepared at the supermarket that you went and bought so all it looked like was some meat with bone in it. Did you notice that? They put that sucker on complete. Fur, entrails, legs, head. Imagine this. Imagine being a kid, especially. You just took care of this lamb for four days. You got this special treat, so to speak, as a kid of having this lamb inside as a little pet. Mom and dad killed it. They're not going out and preparing it and make it, making it into something that you as a kid could probably stomach a little bit more. No, they, they took the whole thing and put it on the fire. Think about that. Again, this is meant to impact them. It's meant to impact us. They were supposed to sit there and watch this animal roast so that then they could eat it. And then they were cut, cut in and eat the flesh. And this animal, you guys, think about this. Spiritually, this animal's blood was a provision to protect your home from God himself, from God coming through and wiping out the children and the livestock. This blood, God's like, put it on your doorpost. This is a sign that you are not a place I'm coming into. Think about this, though, too. It was also a provision of strength, health, and energy. You're eating protein. You're eating meat. You're doing something that's going to help you. And the way they're supposed to do it, you guys, was with their shoes on, ready to rock and roll. This was like an energy boost before they hit the road. Do you understand? Do you guys understand spiritually? We see the same thing in Jesus. Flip over with me to the book of John, the gospel of John. John chapter 6, verse 47 says this, you guys. It says, most assuredly, I say to you, He who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And then it says, the Jews therefore quarreled amongst themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Like, what kind of freak is this, right? Verse 53 said, then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father, he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. You guys, do you understand? Spiritually, it's the same thing. His blood paid and pays for our way into heaven. It's the only way into heaven. We need his blood on our spiritually, on our doorposts of our life. It's got to be that way. It's the only way we're getting in, you guys. However, his word, God said, 
right? In the, in the same, same gospel, Gospel of John, what's it say? God was with the word and the word became flesh, right? Here it is, right here. Jesus, he's speaking to us in his word, but also, you guys, there's something deeper here. We get to know who he is. We chew on his word. We chew on who he is. We look and think, man, Jesus, look at what you've done for me. That should affect your life, you guys. You ingest him, so to speak. Does that make sense? There's so many clear pictures here of what we see back in Exodus in a very different way, but it's the same principle, you guys. The Jews were supposed to eat this meat, this meal of meat and bitter herbs and unleavened bread. And it was supposed to be eaten, ready to walk out the door, eaten in haste, looking forward to the Exodus. You guys see the picture of that for us too? We chew on Jesus. We get to know who Jesus is with the clear expectation that sometime he's coming back and we're out of here. Do you get it? We eat and we chew and we look at our neighbor and we're like, dude, come join us. Don't be out there. Don't stay out there because Jesus is coming. And if you're not with him, it's not going to be a good day for you. Do you understand? It, there's, you guys, the Jews were applying the blood to the doorpost, sacrificing and burning the lamb, eating the meal, ready to leave. I need you to hear this through faith. How do we get to Jesus? Through faith. They were doing all this through faith. Think about it, you guys. The plague, this last plague, it hadn't yet come. The Pharaoh had not yet said to them, leave. And yet, they were being invited in and urged to do these things in faith. You guys, Jesus came and lived the perfect life here on earth, and he didn't just live it in obscurity. He spent his years of ministry in community and relationship with, with whoever wanted to be in it with him. Specifically, the 12 that we read about, but more than that, right? I mean, listen, when he said this, right after that passage I read in the Gospel of John, remember, there were hundreds there, and they were like, dude, that's a really hard word. I don't know about that. And so they took off. So he had other people that were around him that wanted to be with him, that wanted to understand who he was, but they couldn't just get a hold of what he was saying in faith. He went and suffered and died for all of humanity. He was the final and perfect Passover lamb. And we now have a choice, you guys, of applying his blood to the doorposts of our lives, eating of his flesh through the laying of our lives down as a sacrifice to him. Right? He says, take up your cross daily. He says, come and follow me. He says, look, I've got nowhere to lay my head. He told the rich man, dude, drop your wealth and then you'll, you'll figure it out. Because that rich man was putting his faith in his wealth. Do you understand? Too many people out in the world, you guys, are doing all these things, but can I, just, can I just exhort us a bit? Too many people in the church are doing the very same things, putting their faith in their wealth, putting their faith in their security, putting their faith in their know-how and ability. Oh my gosh, guys. Can we just walk in faith to Christ? Think about it. It's what the world is crying out to see something different. They want to know something different, you guys. When we look at every one of these Jews, I need you to hear this. Do you ever think that maybe some of these Jews, and I don't know this, we don't read this, but I'm sure there were some that are like, why, what's, what, right? Thank God they did it. Do you understand? 
Thank God they did it. Do you understand that when we step out in faith at first, when we accept Christ, and I know this is probably true for you guys, when I did that, it was on absolute faith because I had nothing to base anything on. Right? I was like, I'm either going to kill myself, which was what I had tried to do, what I wanted to do, or I'm going to do this. And so I'm like, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose you, God. I, I'm, I'm going to have faith that you're going to do something. 30 plus years later of following him, guess what? Yes, I still walk in faith. Yes, I still have faith in him. But I can tell you this, I've also got all this experience of walking with him that adds into that and says, I know you're good, God. I know I can trust you and completely. Absolutely. Does that make sense? These Jews walking in just a few chapters out of Egypt. I wish I could say that they were like, man, look at what God just did back there. But no, we know they were constantly in this battle of trying to see what God was going to do and learning how to trust God. But aren't we all there? But can I just encourage you guys? We should be trusting God more now than we were a year ago or two years ago or however long you've been walking with the Lord, you guys. There's got to be a growing in your faith. Not that your faith is being bolstered and built up and you're going to work them out like a muscle. No, I'm talking about the fact that as you walk with the Lord and you see him move in your life, you guys, we grow in our faith because it's got some, it's got some, I don't know how to say it. Meat on the bone. I can't think of another way of saying it. Do you understand what I'm getting at? You're like, dude, God, you've been so good in so many areas of my life. God, you brought me through these really hard times. God, you've done these things. All of that matters. Why? Because you guys, there are people out there that don't even, aren't even ready yet to just truly even put any amount of faith in God. And they're waiting to hear from people that are like, look, I'm telling you beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is real, God loves you, and he wants to be in a relationship with you. He loves you so much, and he wants to be in a relationship with you so bad that he did everything, and all you have to do is accept it. And then watch him blow your mind like he has mine, like he has ours, right? Here's the truth. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But I believe that there will always be, just like we see here, some element of faith that is required in following him. Some element of saying, I'm going to trust you, God. And it was the same here for these Jews. Before they were released from Egypt, before the plague ever came, before any of those things had happened, they had to say, okay, this one's a little different. Because think about it. Every other plague that had already happened had either also happened to them or they were just immune from it, right? So they haven't really had to put a ton of skin in the game yet. But here we get to this last one and God's like, I need you to do something. You're going to have to do something. But that's something that they did. You guys understand? It wasn't about the applying of the blood, even though, yes, that is the thing that protected them. But do you understand that it was deeper than that? It was something more spiritual than that. He could have talked to any nation and said, here's what you need to do. You need to spatter some blood and eat it this way. There's something deeper and more spiritual in it. And I think that's why he chose that word congregation right here to use it now to say to them, if you understand this, you're beginning to know that I love you dearly and that we are forever supposed to be in a relationship. He was talking to his people in a different way, you guys. 
He speaks to us in a different way. He's wooing the world around in a different way. And he's asking his church to be people that are out there saying, yes, this is it. Last thing I want to say is, we live this life, you guys, with our shoes on, ready to go home. (laughs) Excited about what God has for us while we're here, but even more excited for what's next. Right? I talk to a lot. Listen, you guys know our church is a pretty young church. We have a very young church. And I've talked to plenty of people, especially the single folk. They're like, yeah, I don't know, man. I kind of want... I want to get married. I want to do this and I want to do that. I get that. I'm not dogging that out. If you're listening to this or you listen later and that's your jam, I understand because I felt the exact same way in my 20s too, but I can tell you this and it doesn't make me more spiritual or less. The point I'm making is, man, the longer I live this life, the closer I am to saying, man, I really can't wait to go home. And some of that is because the more I get to know Jesus, the more I just want to see him face to face. There's another element of that too. The more time I spend on this earth, the more I realize just how messed up it is and how much people need Jesus. And so it want, it's like what Paul says, right? Man, I'm, I'm here for you and I'm really torn because I really want to go home too, right? I feel like that's where we are all heading towards, right? We, we should have a heart and a desire to say, God, when you're ready, I'm ready. Let's go. Until that day, and we should be about the business that God has for us to be about here, amen? Verse 12 says this, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt." Midnight, you guys, of that very night, whenever they had applied the blood at twilight, they killed it, they applied the blood, and then they they went in and they ate the food, and whatever was left, if there was any left, it just was supposed to be burned up in the fire. They wanted to make sure that it was completely gone. They ate their meal of bitter herbs. They did all of the things that God had prescribed, and God said, hey, on that night at midnight, I'm going to pass through the land of Egypt in this terrible judgment that the Pharaoh has basically brought upon himself and his people through his hard heart of disobedience, is going to happen. But the Jews would be passed over because of this blood of the lamb on their doorposts. God wanted the people of Israel, you guys, to remember this night. All of this, you guys, it points to Jesus. He didn't want them to forget, even here, hey, look, I've got a plan. I've got a way to make sure that you're with me. There's such beauty, you guys, in celebration of this deliverance through faith. I need you to hear this. God's justice, you guys, it demands sacrifice. We see it here. God's justice will always demand a sacrifice. It always has. And guess what? If you don't like that, well, you can take it up with him. Right? Honestly, he's God, you guys. I've heard people argue that like, well, I don't know why God would have to do that. Well, because he's God and he can choose to do that. And it actually makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Our sin is that dirty. Our sin is that ugly. You realize that that is not what God intended. In the book of Genesis, we don't see any death until after the fall. Right? They got their clothes from the animals. 
that was the first time anything died. It wasn't the way God had planned it, but God knew it was going to happen anyway. Do you understand the depth of God's love? God's love for us to say, look, I know I'm going to create this thing that's going to be jacked. They're going to jack it up in a relative hurry, (laughs) right? And even before he did that, he's like, he knew that Jesus was coming. And I love the picture in the garden too, whenever he goes down, he doesn't go down and freak out. He comes down, he's like, where are you guys? What's going on? The first time they ever had the inclination at all to hide from God. You guys, God made a way for his people here in the land of Egypt. And through Jesus, he's made a way for all of us. You guys turn over with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 8. says this. It says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You guys, again, and I know you guys have probably heard this a million times, but I am just so blown away by here, the book of Exodus, not that far into human history. We're already seeing God showing up in such a clear way that speaks of this deliverance model, speaks of a way that he's saying like, you've got a way out. And it's not by pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's not by you figuring it out. And now think about this. He's telling Moses this. What did Moses do to start this whole thing off? I'm going to fix for my people's whole life. I'm going to go fix this as a Pharaoh's son. You know how I'm going to do that? I'm going to murder a guard and then bury it and freak out and then run away until God shows up and then freak out on God and be like, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. And then come back. You understand? Here we are. Moses is like, dude, I tried it my own way. It didn't work. I didn't even really want to do what God told me to do, but I'm going to do it anyway because I'm trying to learn obedience and I'm trying to learn all these things. He walks it through. We're going to continue to see that in Moses' life forever, all the way through. You guys, there is so much to get at here, but the thing I want us to sit on tonight is this, is that what we're going to celebrate at the Seder dinner is what we're reading here, and it's beautiful. But if you do not, Jesus is all through this, and it's in the book of Exodus. Verse 14 says, So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Interestingly enough, a lot of scholars believe, and I think it's, it speaks to this, some people believe that that's going to end when Jesus returns. Other people believe that we're going to keep doing this all the way through the thousand-year reign and all the way through heaven, all the way through eternity, that this is going to be something that just continues as a celebration of what God has done. I don't know. It depends on what you want to look at that word everlasting as. But I, I think it's an interesting way of looking at it. Verse 18, it says, in the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread, 
until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat you, uh, in all your dwellings, you shall eat unleavened bread. So for seven days, starting on the Passover, they were to continue eat, eating unleavened bread. You guys, what does leaven do? Leaven allows dough to rise, right? That's how we get the really good baguettes and the really good Italian breads, right? Leaven has a purpose, but the reality is, and I need us to hear this, how are they supposed to eat that Passover lamb? How are they supposed to eat that Passover meal? Ready to rock and roll. Do you know what you don't have time for with leaven? You got to let it rest. You got to let it sit. Do you understand that that was kind of the point? And he's saying for the next seven days, you're traveling, dude. You are in a mission. You're on a mission. You're doing something. Like You're not going to have time for that. You just need to get that stuff going and eat it and move and keep moving. And that's the whole concept of this. The Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven straight days. Here's the other thing leaven is, biblically and spiritually, and I'm sure you guys have heard this before. It's a picture of sin and corruption. I need you to hear this. They had just put the lamb's blood on their doorposts after caring for this lamb, nurturing this lamb for four days, keeping it in their home. They killed it. They put the blood on to protect themselves, and then they ate it. And they ate it with the unleavened bread. And then for seven straight days after that, you guys, they were supposed to continue eating this unleavened bread. Do you see spiritually how this speaks to this idea of like God has rescued you? That should get you to a place where you start looking at your life, that I should start looking at my life and saying, man, Lord, what leaven is there in me? God, what areas of my life need you to wipe them out? to get it out of me? What corruption is there in me that you want to get rid of? Do you get it? So what is he saying? He's saying literally they're taking this leaven and they're getting it out of their home. They weren't allowed to have it in their house. It needed to go away so that there was no temptation to use the leaven, right? So that it wasn't going to accidentally spill into the dough. There was no opportunity for sin and corruption for this leaven to hit that bread for seven straight days. Seven, the number of completion. There's so much here, you guys. It speaks a lot to this idea of a remembrance. A remembrance and a knowledge that, man, God's like, I just saved you from a catastrophe. Cleanse yourself. For us, we have Christ. We are justified in God's sight as a believer in Jesus. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you believe that he took care of all that on the cross, in God's sight, you are justified. But we're walking out the sanctification walk, aren't we? We're stumbling and fumbling and sometimes laying flat on our face for a day, right? We're hot messes. It's not our job necessarily to go and clean ourselves out. But do you know what our job is, you guys? Like King David said, right, Lord, show me if there be any wicked way in me. God, show me where my leaven is. Lord, I don't even know where the leaven is. And you know what? This leaven, it's a good thing. It hides in little spots, in little crevices of your heart, doesn't it? This sin, this 
corruption. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you know flat out, like, yeah, I had it out with my wife, or I, I totally went off at work, and I did this, or I was tempted and went and looked at porn. There's times when you're just like, yeah, there's the leaven. There's other parts, though, of our, of our lives, Lord, that the Lord has to kind of show to us, doesn't he? Guys, this was an opportunity for them to get rid of things, but there was something spiritually deeper happening here where they're like, okay, you've gotten rid of the leaven physically. It's out of your life. You've looked for it to be gone, but examine yourself. Start processing the fact that God has just saved you. He's literally saved you in this moment. I want to encourage us, you guys, especially for those of us that have been walking with the Lord for years and years and years, we can follow into a rhythm, I think, where some of those outward sins, some of those clear leaven spots in your life, maybe have gone by the wayside. Maybe God has taken those things out. Maybe they're not as common. Maybe you're not cursing anymore. Maybe you, you, know, you stop smoking weed, or maybe you, those things are just kind of off the table. But can I just encourage you? You are not free from leaven, period, end of sentence. We all got some. Let's not ever get to a place in our hearts where we actually start thinking like, I'm pretty good, God. No, you're not. And if you think you're really, really good and you're like, man, I'm pretty righteous. What does the Bible say? Your righteousness is used toilet paper. That's what it is. So good for you and your used toilet paper. Now get rid of it, right? Start asking God, Lord, I want your righteousness in my life. Lord, I want something that is not gonna burn up. Lord, I want something that's pure and rich and real that the only person I can look at and and thank is you, right? And I think, Christians, I don't know about you, but I think the longer we walk, there's this sometimes an element of pride almost that creeps in religiously that you're like, I'm pretty good. I'm not the hot mess that I used to be. Well, good for you, but you're still a hot mess. So am I. Man, the seven days of unleavened bread, there's something sweet there, I think, for us to just take some time and say, oh God, you saved me. For me personally, I'll just be honest with you guys. We're going to be doing the Passover Seder. We're not going to be doing it right on the day, right? We're not going to be legalistic about it. April 1st is when we're doing it because that's when we could do it. But the truth is for me, I, I, I'm going to take seven days after that personally. I'm not saying this to force you guys to it, but to just really take some time away and say, Lord, man, cleanse my heart. Show me this leaven that I just don't see right now, right? We all have it. I need you to hear this too. During the seven days, if people were unwilling, if people wanted Italian bread so badly (laughs) that they were not willing to get rid of their leaven, They were cut off. Think about how important this was to God. This is, again, speaking to the spirituality of it. We see in the New Testament, the Pharisees took a lot of these things and made it super legalistic and weird and dumb. We get back to the true heart of this thing. Why was the leaven so important? Because it was speaking of this sin and corruption. And he's like, get it out of your house. Don't willingly allow it there. Right? Get it out. You guys. Man, there is something special for us too. Because church, I got to say this. I think that the longer that the Lord tarries, the more messed up this earth becomes. And in the combination of that, we're already starting to see where some churches are like, hey, sin's not really what God said it was. It's not that anymore. 
And they're okay with things that, to be perfectly frank, are not okay. Other churches are on the opposite, legalistic, super pharisaical, and where they're like, everything's wrong and you suck. No, God loves you just as you are, and he wants to change you and sanctify your heart, and all he needs from you is a level of faith to say, Jesus, I trust you. I trust that what you did is everything. And somewhere in between there, you guys, we need to be careful that we're not allowing leaven into our midst And at the same time, recognize that we've all got leaven, and so we're not special, and that anyone is welcome to walk through that door. And in the midst of all that, guess who's doing the work, you guys? Jesus. He's the only one that can do the work. The Holy Spirit in us is the only thing that ever brings about change, lasting, everlasting change in our lives, you guys. We can't womp it up in ourselves. There's a beauty here that I feel like we need to get a hold of as much as we can. As a church body, you guys, we have people out there in the world that need Jesus. And they're in all sorts of states of disarray. Let's not ever be people that look at ourselves and think, well, I'm not that messed up. And so, uh, you know, no, God forbid. However, let's not also be the people that are lying to their face and saying, you're fine. No, you're not. You're messed up, man. So am I. You need Jesus. We speak the truth in love, amen? You guys, we are always supposed to be recognizing that we're sinful people. And I think Israel was given this feast as a yearly reminder that, hey, you too are sinful and corrupt. Yes, you too, Pharisee. Right? Everyone. God never desired all that for humanity. Adam and Eve were created innocent, walking with God, but they chose to follow their own way over God's way. And guess what? You guys, we're still suffering for that choice. In this particular feast, they held two church services at the beginning and at the end of the seven-day period. Did you guys catch that? These two church services and all this, you guys, was pointing to God and the need for him to do a work in their lives. And I want to challenge each of us, examine your life. Examine your life. We are all sinners and we need to get the leaven out of our homes spiritually. But like I said before, you guys, we're going to do that through the prayer of David. Lord, search my heart. Show me if there's any wicked way in me. Verse 21 says this. It says, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood that is in the basin, and strike it. Strike the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. Do you guys understand hyssop, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's something that basically represents uh, clen- cleansing and things like that, but they're using it basically as a little broom, basically, a bunch of hyssop, like a bush little broom type thing. Actually, when we were in Africa, they would do this. They would take a bunch of reeds and they would bind it together. And it was just a broom without a handle, essentially. And that's how they would like sweep things, sweep the dirt or whatever they were doing. That's what they were supposed to do, except they were supposed to dip it into the basin of blood and just go and like slap it on there and slap it down the side. So this is dripping. Do you understand? This wasn't just clean like paint lines. This was dirty. This was gory, right? There was blood everywhere. Imagine that. Verse 23, it says, For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, 
And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and hear this and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. God himself did not do the work. But do you read earlier when it said that God was going to be the one that passes through? This was an angel. This was some angel. We don't know. The destroyer was this some thing that God was allowing a demonic angel to do. I don't know what that looks like. I have no idea, but it definitely was like God wasn't going through and snuffing out the life of these children. But God did allow something here to happen. Verse 24, it says, And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed down their heads and worshiped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. So now we see Moses... He did what God asked him to do. He called the elders, these leaders together, and he disseminated the information to them. And they in turn then disseminated it to the rest of the congregation. And the people not only did what they had been told, but they were also told that, look, and I need you to hear this. Did you catch that? Even after they arrive in the what? The promised land. Something that at this point in history, they were seeking in faith. They were like, God, you said you were going to bring it. You said that that was the way this is going to go, but we've been stuck here as slaves for quite a while, so not sure what that's going to look like. But here's God saying, look, you're going to get there eventually. Remember this. Keep doing it. They were supposed to let every generation know of God's great faithfulness and provision of this Passover. And also the reason for the purging of leaven. Right? It was a reminder to teach each generation that God desires our obedience. But this is something, you guys, that only God could accomplish in their lives, and it's something that only God can accomplish in our lives as we submit. When I read these, this passage, and when we're going to continue going through next week, we're going to look at the actual plague happening, but I just want to encourage us, you guys. I know that there, this, a lot of this is on the nose in a way, and you probably have heard this preached a hundred times. There's something special about being continually reminded. You know, it reminds me of Peter. He's like, dude, my life is coming to an end, but it's good for me to remind you of these things. And so I feel like we need to remember and understand that God has made a way for us we have a Passover lamb, and I need you to hear that. And you might be like, yeah, I know, pastor, but do you understand that the rest of the world needs to hear that? And God set it up that he, they would hear that through us, through his church. People are desperate. I don't know what this looked like. How many of these Jews had friends that were Egyptians that were like, seriously, do this, do, do this. Do you understand? Listen, I'm not trying to add to the word. It doesn't say anything about that. I don't know what that looked like, but do you understand the heart? 
that if we truly understand what Jesus is to us, that we, I would think, would want to go to our neighbors, want to go to those that we work with, want to go to those that are around us and say, do you understand? Do you understand that there is a reckoning coming at some point in life? Either in this lifetime or in some future lifetime as God tarries because he's gracious to this, wor- to this earth, to this world. But there is a reckoning coming, you guys. You want to be on the right side of that. This isn't me being legalistic and being like, did you tell at least 10 people this week? No. It's me saying, I don't understand, the more I know Jesus, how anyone cannot look at the people around them, even at Market Basket, and say, man. And listen, I'm not there in Market Basket with a bullhorn crying out to everybody. That's not what I'm doing. But Steve and I were talking today. If God called me to, I would hope I'd be ready to do it. But I will tell you this. I am ready, in season and out of season, to talk about Jesus with whoever. And sometimes that's as simple as, how can I pray for you? And sometimes it's as involved as, man, do you know Jesus? Because it sounds like you're going through a tough time, man. And I know that for me, when I've gone through tough times, when I was in the midst of a very tough time, I found the one answer that has, that has changed everything for me. And that isn't me being legalistic or being weird. It's literally me saying, this is, my, this is the answer. I believe it's the only answer for all of the earth. I take seriously John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And guess what? You want to be with the Father. So I'm not up here pleading with you guys, but I'm just like, man, this story of the Passover, the reason that I'm so excited to do this Passover Seder is because there's so much richness here, you guys. And, and I don't even know nearly probably half of what this chapter is really saying. I really don't, and I'm excited to teach it again and again and again, because I'm going to grow in it and grow in knowledge and grow in the understanding of it, just like we all are in his word. And I'm excited because, guys, we have not plumbed the depths of his word, and we never will. But man, you don't have to get very deep into this to see what an awesome picture this is of just God's love for us, God's love for humanity but also this need for faith. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word, and I do thank you, Father, that, I don't know, God, I know there's so much more. I know, Father, that there is things that I have yet to grasp or understand entirely, Lord, that I I wish I did. God, I want to teach your word just, Lord, to give it all, Lord, for people to understand more and understand all, Lord, but I'm also thankful, Father, that your word is a pool that we're never going to dive to the bottom of. And God, your expectation, Father, is not that we know everything about your word, Lord. Your expectation is, is that we grab hold of the things that you've shown us and that we do something with it, Lord. We apply it to our lives in faith, Lord. And the Holy Spirit, you're the only one that's ever going to change anything in our lives that way. You're the only one that's ever going to move us forward and progress us forward in this walk with you, Lord. We're not doing that on our own. But God, I pray tonight, Father, you know our hearts, Lord. You know the areas of our lives, Lord, that maybe some of us, Lord, have been walking with you for so long that we've become a little numbed to the fact of just what an amazing thing it is that you saved a wretch like me. God, that you saved a bunch of wretches that didn't deserve it at all. 
God, maybe we've grown numb to that. I, Father, I pray if that's true, Lord, that tonight, Lord, that you would just begin to soften our heart again. Blow our minds, Lord, about all that you did for us. Because, God, I think that at the beginning of that is where we start really seeing things clearly. We start to see, Lord, that we need you to come in and wipe out the leaven in our lives. Lord, we need you to clean house spiritually in our hearts. And Lord, as we walk that out, I know for a fact, God, I know it's true in my heart, Lord, my desire to talk to others, my desire, Father, to see people that are trying to find their answers everywhere but you. Lord, my desire is to go out into this world and tell them how much they need you and how awesome and good you are. Father, I pray that we would be a church. God, a church that speaks truth and love a church that loves people well right where they are. But Lord, also a church that is never satisfied, that is never ready to just sit back on our laurels, but Lord, that we would be a church that is chasing after you, wanting to fall deeper and deeper in love with you, Lord, and to want to see other people fall deeper and deeper in love with you, Lord God. Lord, we want to see your kingdom grow. We want to see an explosion, Father, of all that you have. Holy Spirit, would you move in us? Would you blow through us with a fresh wind, God? Thank you, Lord, for what you did thousands of years ago, Lord, and how much it impacts us now. I praise your name, God. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.